Greetings, 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 musicologists. This is Edub, Eric Wilson here. Musicology 101, connecting the dots. I thank you guys for joining me. I thank the ones of you who've been following me on Instagram and have steadily been asking me, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast, man? When is it coming? Well, it's finally here. And I'm really, really, really excited, extra excited, because this first episode is being released on my birthday, April 1st, which happens to be today. So, happy birthday to me. So, uh, I'll tell you a little about myself. Um, I've worked in publishing for over 20 years. I previously worked at a newspaper in Philadelphia, and then I moved to web publishing. I did concert reviews, album reviews, uh, artist feature pieces, and then I moved into music development for AOL when they expanded their music area. And for the last 10 years or so, I've been freelancing and trying to find my way. And so finally, I think I found my way with Musicology 101 because I feel as though what you listen to is just as important as how you listen. Because if you are listening in the right way, you understand influences, you understand effects, you understand the blueprint, the outline, the diagram for how artistry has developed and expanded over the many decades of popular music. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into things. And my first profile today is going to be my favorite band in the world. And that would be Steely Dan. Well, here we go with Steely Dan, my favorite, favorite, most favorite band in the world. Steely Dan, man oh man, what can one say about a group named after a dildo from a William S. Burroughs novel called Naked Lunch? Kind of interesting, huh? I could expound and expostulate and think through exactly what it is that I would want to say about Steely Dan for this initial podcast and still feel as though I'm left with not enough words to convey truly the influence and talent and overall individualism of this band. The band is primarily comprised of Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, a duo who met each other during their days at Bard College. And, you know, interestingly enough, one of their classmates was the actor, comedian Chevy Chase. It almost seems right that this band formed on the campus of Bard College when you consider the introspective and sarcastic and almost every man is a loser-like lyrics that are pervasive in their songwriting. Becker primarily played guitar and bass, along with adding background vocals. And Donald Fagan, of course, took the role as lead singer and primary constructionist of songwriting as well as keyboards. These two had a great appreciation for jazz, especially bebop, as well as blues and R&B. And although they started off as primarily a progressive rock band, they blended genres when it came to their compositions. Anything from blues to jazz to reggae to bebop to soul to rock. They managed to weave a tapestry of multiple sounds into one individual statement sound that encompassed what Steely Dan was all about sonically. And as I stated previously, lyrically is a completely different story. Steely Dan's lyrical imagery is just as distinctive as the sound of the band. For example, 
When you listen to songs like Hey 19 or Deacon Blues or even one of the more deep album cuts, Don't Take Me Alive, for instance, which is one of my favorites, things aren't all rosy and lighthearted and full of life in the steely dan world of society and personal reflection. Things are much more dour and dark and bleak and unforgiving, unsure and almost desperate. However, the music that accompanies these lyrics doesn't necessarily carry the same burden. It's a juxtaposition that, to this day, still confounds me when I listen to their catalog. I want to give you a bit of background on Steely Dan before we dive in a little to Asia, which is really sort of their magnum opus as a band. The band essentially stopped touring after 1974 when they released Pretzel Logic, which contained their biggest hit to date, Ricky Don't Lose That Number. 1977 saw the band's greatest commercial as well as widespread success with the release of Asia, a glistening, fine-tuned and sparkling representation of every man and everything with such songs as diverse as Peg, which was the first release. also take the time to hear from the tastemakers themselves, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, talking about the making of Asia and more specifically Peg, the song we just listened to. We'll hear from the backing vocalist Michael McDonald, drummer Rick Morata, and bass player Chuck Rainey about how Peg was constructed and came to bloom into such a timeless hit. Created this little sound. Now I've done that, but never ever heard it on the record that I had done. Because engineers and sounds at the time, you know, it was it was one of those things where it's a nuance, and those things didn't exist. just becoming popular and it was on a lot of records however by me being a player i think there are some songs that slapping sounds good and no matter who you are you want to keep in the fold of what's happening uh peg uh, uh that bridge there just seemed to be a slap sing it and 
you know, uh, that's the phrasing. But for those guys, uh, phrasing could have such nuance, you know, that, uh, you know, singing a line like half as much as you think, oh, you know, how many different ways can you say it in that phrasing rhythmically, you know, but it would be, it would come down to such fine points like uh, pronunciation and uh, exact rhythmic, you know, uh, vibrato, no vibrato, you know, uh, things like that. And so it was always real challenging. He did a couple parts on, on top of himself. Let's check it out as high part just to embarrass him. The third single, released from Peg, was Josie, which was a moderate radio hit. possibly forget the extended radio favorite the middle of the road beckoning tune for a long car ride deacon blues single-handedly sums up everything that Steely Dan encompasses in one song title and one long lyrical narrative of in unsurety. Since the band was no longer touring from their last date in 1974, this resulted in an almost obsessive compulsive recording and composing routine for subsequent releases, especially considering the fact that up until Asia, the band had released one album a year since 1972. The gap in studio releases from Asia in 1977 to Gaucho in 1980 is a stark testament to what was going on behind the scenes as this band, as this band made an effort to craft an almost perfect composition with expert musicianship and severe attention to detail. One of the common threads for this band throughout the recording process and even into the 2000s has been the producer Gary Katz. 
From 1980 to 2000, the band had not released any new ma original material. However, Fager and Bacon did, Fagan, Fagan and Becker, excuse me, <laughs> did appear on other releases from other artists who happened to be using Gary Katz as their producer. One would be the band Eye to Eye, who had a moderate hit in 1982 with a song called Nice Girls. Katz ended up working with is former model and singer Rosie Vela, who released an album called Zazu in 1986. The first single from the album was called Magic Smile. such a long absence you would wonder, as I did, what would become of Steely Dan and would I ever hear any new music from them again? Of course, during this break, there were solo releases by Donald Fagan, the first of which was The Nightfly in 1982, which of course was produced by Gary Katz and also featured Walter Becker in an instrumental capacity. Fagan also released Kamakiriad in 1993 uh, the more moderate single, first single release from that album was Tomorrow's Girls. Uh, Becker himself released 11 tracks of Whack in 1994. That's the actual album title, folks. I'm not calling the album Whack. I'm just, I'm just giving you the album title. Just sharing the information, as well as Circus Money in 2008. Becker also produced the album Flaunt the Imperfection by the group China Crisis, as well as Flying Cowboys for Ricky Lee Jones in 1989. Becker would also go on to produce projects for Michael Franks and John Beasley. In 1993 and 1994, out of the blue as if lightning struck, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker came back together and actually launched a small-scale American tour, which resulted in the 1994 live album called Alive in America. This, in turn, led the two to having a better relationship, and subsequently, they began working on Two Against Nature, which came out in 2000. That's quite a gap between albums. 20 years. 20 years. 1980 was Gaucho, and 2000 would be Two Against Nature. This 2000 album resulted in the band winning multiple Grammys and, most importantly, Album of the Year. Now, of course, to any observer, this was almost a senior su superlative sort of moment 
for the band's distinct sound and contributions, as well as their influence over many decades, even without having recorded new music in quite some time. This resurgence continued as the band took to touring regularly, as well as releasing two other studio albums within five years. I'd like to take a moment to share that being a kid who grew up with 70s AM radio, uh, which encompassed everything, country, soul, uh, rock and roll, uh, bubblegum, 70s AM radio was just a cornucopia of sound. All genres could exist on multiple radio stations and live accordingly. Now, I would say that it's interesting that the front end of Steely Dan's career, Reeling in the Years and Ricky Don't Lose That Number, um, these compositions leaned more in a rock direction until the band started recording on the West Coast and you got a more laid back sound. Uh, you still had the jazz overtones, the harmonies, but the compositions, the production was softer, less edgy, more smoothed out. I'd also like to say that uh, Walter Becker passed away a few years ago. Uh, Donald Fagan has mounted a Steely Dan tour in his absence upon his death, which some look at as not necessarily being a legitimate Steely Dan experience, but still, you know, we have to appreciate the veterans while they're still around and while we have them. So that's why I wanted to start off this podcast by giving my own personal testimonial to the love that I have for Steely Dan and how distinct and influential their sound has been. And speaking of influences, I want to go ahead and try and connect the dots a little more as far as how influences apply to Steely Dan. I stated earlier that they were influenced by bebop, jazz, rock, rock and roll, blues, and soul, and especially from the fruitful period of the 40s and 50s when jazz started to take a turn. AM radio would mean nothing without the sound of Steely Dan. Yet not only did Steely Dan define the sound of 70s AM radio, there were many other supporting cast members that were able to bring that West Coast vibe of soft rock and pop to the mainstream, sometimes with a country influence, sometimes with a more rock undertone. Speaking of influences, in 2006, I stumbled upon an album by a group called The Beauty Room. That's B-E-A-U-T-Y, Beauty, The Beauty Room. The Beauty Room, the beauty room was essentially a studio collective of very experienced musicians, as well as vocalists that essentially managed to recreate, as well as enhance, the certain soft rock and thoughtful musicianship of 70s AM radio. The album itself is self-titled, The Beauty Room, and the members essentially are reminiscent of the way that Steely Dan recorded, I'd say, Asia, as well as Gaucho, their, their last two albums of the, well, 70s and 80s. Um, one of the things that you might have noticed in the clip that we played earlier um, from the members of Steely Dan, as well as some of the musicians, they would essentially bring in completely different 
musicians and form completely different bands while they were recording. There was a certain nuance that they wanted, so it meant nothing for them to go through five drummers, six guitarists, four bass players. You know, they would essentially scrap all the players that they had for one session and the next day bring in a whole batch of new individuals. Now, we're, we're speaking about really experienced session musicians. So these are people that essentially could show up, they were given a chart, they were directed how to play, and then they would play. And essentially, it was up to Becker and Fagan to discern who had that magic nuance and sound that they wanted to apply and produce on the individual tracks and blend with the other pieces that they thought fit well also. So back to the beauty room. The beauty room is made up of Kirk DiGiorgio, who is a well-known session uh, player, well-known musician, um, very experienced. Uh, Janadu, who is the lead singer, who's done a lot of session work also. And veteran session members, Ian O'Brien, Chris Whitten, and Thomas O'Grady. And when you look at the lineup for the band, it's almost exactly what, what, what Steely Dan would have put in place. A rotating cast of very talented musicians who were required to find the subtle nuances that made Steely Dan sound so distinct. And so when you listen to The Beauty Room, you can hear the exact same attention to detail. Let's take a listen to the first track by them, Visions of Joy. Now tell me, don't you get Steely Dan from this? Can't you feel the Dan coursing through your veins? Yeah, I know, you agree. I'd also like to play one other track by The Beauty Room called Burn My Bridges. So there you have it, The Beauty Room, with Visions of Joy and Burn My Bridges. Again, this album came out in 2006. The Beauty Room is the group, B-E-A-U-T-Y, Room. Um, they also released a second album, I believe in 2008, um, which is called The Beauty Room 2. So I would suggest you check out, check out those two albums. And I'm going to end things here with my homage to Steely Dan on this first 
podcast of Musicology 101. It's just a taste of what's to come. Just a taste. There's much more. And I greatly, greatly appreciate the support. I would also suggest that you check out the Musicology by Eric playlist, which is on Spotify, where you'll not only find the artists and music that I'll be profiling, but you'll also see things that I have listened to over the years, um, as well as newer music, which I have found uh, from digging deep, deep, deep into haystacks and finding those few needles that shine that I think are worthy of your time. Anyway, folks, I'll say that I thank you for your time today. I also thank you for supporting me on Instagram, etc. And I ask that you tune in again. I'll be releasing another episode next week. I'll have a few guests with me. We're going to make it exciting. And like I said, Musicology 101 is all about connecting the dots. It's all about looking for the influences, understanding how music has evolved, how it changes, how we can all learn from the past, because the past certainly absolutely influences when it comes to music. Anyway, you guys have a good one, and please, please stay safe. Again, thank you for the support, and I'll be seeing you next time. Goodbye.